All right, welcome to Special Situation Investing episode, I believe we're on 16. Uh, today we're going to be talking about Texas Pacific Land. Uh, so Texas Pacific Land is one of those companies that I hold as a general, we talked about those categories that Warren Buffett uh, used for his own investments of uh, yeah, generals and workouts and controls. And generals were sort of the stocks like Coca-Cola or American Express or Geico that he just held over a long period of years because he really had a lot of faith in that uh, business uh, and its fundamentals um, and everything else about the financials of the business. So for me, TPL has become one of those uh, generals. And this is essentially because of the fact that it seems like it's impossible to kill. Uh, so we'll get into the business model and how it works. But there was another thing that Buffett used to frame his investments and the questions he asked about them. And it was, hey, if somebody gave me a billion dollars to destroy this business, let's say it was Coke when he was making the Coke decision, uh, could he, with that billion dollars, create another business that would destroy Coke? And so he would say, well, um, can I take out the brand? Can I undercut them on price? Can I you know, build a better distribution system? Things like that. And if he came to the conclusion that no, you know, you couldn't kill the business. Uh, that was just one of the factors that he considered in saying, hey, this is an outstanding business that I want to be in because even if I wanted to wreck it, I couldn't. Um, I guess another one that he used a lot was you want a business that could be run by a ham sandwich because eventually a ham sandwich is going to run it. So he had a couple filters that he would use like that. Anyway, so for me, TPL has kind of become a general and we'll get into uh, to why that is. Um so there are folks out there for sure who are kind of bearish on TPL because they say it's overvalued. That's the main criticism that it gets. We will get into, uh, I guess, my counters to that as we look at the business model. Um, but just to sum up uh, right up front, I mean, it's a oil and gas company that owns a ton of land in Texas. And it gets a royalty off that land. And it has no debt. And uh, that is an awesome business model. So um, I guess the way I would compare it is when you have a business with no expenses, that is a huge factor in what it's worth. If you had, you know, two rental houses um, and one rental house came with all the normal CapEx, it came with uh, you as the owner had to uh, fix broken pipes or repair the roof, uh, do all the general maintenance on it, pay the property taxes, etc. You have to factor that into how much you think the house is worth compared to what it'll learn. If another house is for sale and for some reason there's a, a setup, a contract on it where you never have to maintain it, you never have to pay the property tax, it's in a, you know, a fantastic area, the rents are rising, and it has these great prospects into the future, that is worth more money than the house that you're going to have to maintain because um, you've eliminated all those expenses. So we'll get into that a little bit, but essentially the business model and the fact that it has no expenses are the reasons that I think it's so valuable. All right. So I learned about this stock actually from through Murray Stahl, uh, who runs Horizon Kinetics, um, who's an amazing thinker. Recommend you guys go check him out if you haven't. Uh, he's got a lot of stuff that's just open source out on the web you can read, but kind of a brilliant investor. And I was using the website Dataroma, another website I'd recommend. And you can see what people hold in their portfolios on that website. You can also see insider trades, pretty user-friendly interface. 
And I remember sitting there a couple of years ago, I guess at this point, and watching this Murray Stahl guy just buy TPL day after day after day after day, something like ten to 17000 a day of purchases. And it just went on and has gone on now for, I think, well over a year or two. Um, and so I thought, well, what is this guy doing? Why is he buying all this stock? And that kind of sent me on the hunt to learn about the company and eventually buy it myself. So with that long intro, uh, what is Texas Pacific Land? So this is direct from the company's website. This is the history old company. So it starts out 1871 as Texas and Pacific Railroad. It was created through a federal charter to connect the states of Texas and California via a rail. And the states were granted land uh, towards the effort, um, sort of an eminent domain back in the 1800s. In 1881, although Texas and Pacific did not complete the full rail line, by 1881, Texas and Pacific had completed 972 miles of track, and that entitled it to 3.5 million acres of land in Texas. In 1888, upon the bankruptcy of Texas and Pacific, the 3.5 million acres of land were put into a trust, later known as Texas Pacific Land Trust, for the benefit of the bondholders who invested in the railroad. And then in 1920, Texas and Pacific, uh, you got Abrams number one in Mitchell County, became the first well to produce oil from the Permian Basin. And a few years later, the first oil pipeline was built in the basin. So going back almost exactly 100 years now is the first time land in that Permian Basin was discovered, oil was discovered on that land. In 1927, the certificates of Texas and Pacific Land Trust were listed on the New York Stock Exchange. And by 1954, the mineral estate under TPL's land was spun off to its shareholders under a new company named TXL Oil. Uh, TPL reserved a non-participating interest under certain tracts of land. Then 1962, Texaco Oil Company in the States, uh, for you international folks, purchased Texas Oil, which at the time held over 2 million undeveloped acres in West Texas. In 2000, Chevron acquired Texaco for $36 billion and now performs as an operator across a large portion of TPL's Permian position. And in 2010, the Permian Basin, which had been in production declined since the 1970s, began to grow production as unconventional development unlocked tremendous additional reserves. 2015, rapid development across much of TPL's acreage led to increased royalty revenues for TPL, in June of 2017, TPL announced the formation of Texas Pacific Water Resources, which we'll talk about a bit more, a wholly owned subsidiary of TPL focused on providing holistic water services to oil and gas operators in the Permian Basin. And in January of 2021, TPL completed its corporate reorganization into a Delaware C Corp. So just within the last uh, little over a year that they went from a trust to a C Corp. All right, so... How does Texas Pacific Land make money? Well, just like I just read, they've got this long history, a land grant from a railroad well over 100 years ago, back in the 1800s, and they still have um, over 800,000, I believe, surface acres of land. And it just so happens that land is on top of the Permian Basin, which is the most oil-rich basin in the States, which we'll talk about here in a minute. And uh, operators come on their land and pay them fees for all sorts of things, access fees and uh, fee on the gas that's produced, fee for the water that's used um, to extract 
the land. But that's the genius of the business model. This idea that, you know, by, by a twist of fate, they own some very valuable land and people come and pay them uh, to extract and to use the land for all these various purposes. So um, very, very, very low operating expenses for a company that's at about a 10 billion market cap. All right. So the Permian Basin, we're going to go into just a, an overview of what that thing is so you can understand kind of the strategic position of Texas Pacific. And this is just a straight up definition. So it might be a little bit boring, a little long, but uh, it captures the whole thing. So the Permian Basin is a large sedimentary basin in the southwestern part of the United States. The basin contains the Mid-Continent Oilfield Province. This sedimentary basin is located in western Texas and southeastern New Mexico. It reaches from just south of Lubbock, past Midland and Odessa, south nearly to the Rio Grande River in southern west central Texas, and extending westward in the southeastern part of New Mexico. It is so named because it has one of the world's thickest deposits of rocks from the Permian geologic period. The greater Permian basin comprises several component basins. Of these, the Midland Basin is the largest, the Delaware Basin is the second largest, and the Marfa Basin is the smallest. The Permian Basin covers more than 86,000 square miles and extends across an area of approximately 250 miles by 300 miles. The Permian Basin lends its name to a large oil and natural gas producing area part of the mid-continental oil producing area. Total production for that region up to the beginning of 1993, was over 14.9 billion barrels. The Texas cities of Midland, Odessa, and San Angelo serve as the headquarters for oil production activities in the basin. The Permian Basin is also a major source of potassium salts, or potash, which are mined from bedded deposits of sylvite and langonite in the Salado Formation of Permian Age. Silvite was discovered in drill cores in 1925, and production began in 1931. The mines are located in Leonetti counties, New Mexico, and are operated by the room and pillar method. Helite rock salt is produced as a byproduct of potash mining. The Permian Basin is the largest petroleum-producing basin in the United States and has produced a cumulative 28.9 billion barrels of oil and 75 trillion cubic feet of gas. Currently, in early 2020, over 4 million barrels of oil a day are being pumped from the basin. 80% of estimated reserves are located at less than 10,000 feet. 10% of the oil recovered from the Permian Basin has become from Pennsylvania carbonates. The largest reservoirs are within the Central Basin Platform, the northwestern and eastern shelves, and within Delaware Basin sandstones. The primary lithologies of the major hydrocarbon reservoirs are limestone, dolomite, and sandstone due to their high porous sites. However, advances in hydrocarbon recovery, such as horizontal drilling and hydraulic fracturing, have expanded production into unconventional tight oil shales, such as those found in the Wolf Camp Shale. Anticipated Oil Usage the U.S. Energy Information Administration projects a nearly 50% increase in world energy use by 2050, led by growth in renewables. That said, the baseline petroleum and natural gas usage is projected as flat to slightly increasing, with coal in slight decline, nuclear remaining flat, 
and renewables increasing as a percentage of the whole so that they represent a much larger portion of the energy portfolio going forward. They project that petroleum and other liquid fuels will remain the world's largest energy source all the way through 2050. All right. So I read that last part. Um, well, I'll get to it in a second. The overview of the geology of that area. Kind of boring, but important to note how significant an asset it is. So uh, if you think about the U.S. in general and how much oil is produced, um, by far and away, Texas produces the most oil, and most of that comes from the Permian. So for example, I think Texas produces about 1.8 billion barrels in a year of oil, and then the next most productive state, uh, I believe is North Dakota, at something like 300 and some, close to 400 million barrels, so already down by like a third, and then the states just trail off from there with less and less. So you have this huge strategic asset. If the U.S. were to do more um, of a move toward energy independence, uh, less foreign supplied fuel, a lot of oil is going to come out of the Permian Basin. It's just geology. And it's just this happenstance of fate that this company was granted this huge section of land that happens to be on top of all of this oil uh, for them to monetize. And then that last bit I read was just to highlight the fact that even um, the U.S. Energy um, Administration, who is with the crowd, who admittedly wants to move more toward green or renewable energy, however you want to categorize it, um, they realize that petroleum is a huge part of that transition and that it's not going away tomorrow. So even if we're going to make a bunch of windmills and uh, solar panels and uh, even transition more to nuclear or whatever other energy sources, for one, society's energy needs are just increasing all the time as the population grows and the demand for energy grows. Um, but also, you can't just flip those things on overnight. You're going to have to use petroleum to transition you to uh, a green economy. So take away long into the future, a company with a bunch of acreage and no debt on top of the Permian Basin is going to be valuable. All right. If you want more information on that, there's a book that I would recommend. Uh, the Accidental Superpower uh, talks about this kind of quite extensively and goes into some details, basically makes the case that in a world going forward, what we might see is deglobalizing, and we might see countries looking to become um, more self-sufficient. So more domestic manufacturing, more domestic production, and, and moving away from that trend we've seen over the last 40 years of outsourcing everything to other cheaper labor markets. Again, it's a good book, um, Accidental Superpower, if you want more on that. Um, but if you buy into that case at all, again, that's another tailwind for the largest energy uh, producing land in the US, the U.S. All right. Breaking down Texas Pacific's earnings streams. So we're getting specific now. There's really three big areas that the company monetizes. The first one represents the least of its earnings, and that's uh, SLIM is what they call it, but it stands for uh, surface leases, easements, and material. And so in this category, you can think of uh, they sell gravel, for example. So a company like Chevron might want to work on TPL land. So they go to TPL, they say, hey, we'd like to pay for an easement access. Okay, pay a fee. 
now they want a road built. So TPL says, okay, we're going to um, get the road built. And then there's a bunch of material that they would uh, get from this construction of the road. They call it caliche. Uh, they take the material and the rock that they got from building a road. In some cases, sell it to like the state of Texas for other projects um, um, outside of the company. Uh, they sell some of the easement rights for grazing, some for hunting, and increasingly what you're seeing is uh, wind and solar. So they've got this land out in the middle of the desert, and these are very unpopulous parts of Texas. So some of these counties have in the hundreds of people or maybe a few thousand people in the whole county. So not a lot of folks out there, and you're seeing more and more that, hey, let's put a wind farm on this thing, or let's put solar panels across the acreage, TPL will let them, a company do that. The company takes on the operating costs themselves, and then TPL just gets kind of a rental fee for having that set up on their property. Another one is power line easement. So state of Texas might want to run transmission wires through a section of Texas, and if it crosses TPL land, then they'll uh, charge them a fee again for that access. Okay, the next one is uh, water resources. So this is a growing part of their business and a couple of factors here. TPL's ownership of the land, because it's so old, includes uh, very generous mineral and water rights. So you, you might see another company that has uh, land you know, in Texas, for example, um, but that doesn't mean that they have all the water rights, all the mineral rights, etc. Whereas TPL has that because their 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 rights to that land are so old. So TPL has water rights below their acreage, and the water itself is very brackish. In other words, it's not good to drink. Uh, it's got the hydrocarbons um, that are in the oil in the water, and you just can't use it for drinking. I don't think it's very good for agricultural type uses either. Um, but what it is good for is when you're doing fracking or horizontal drilling on a property, you need to uh, infuse those wells with water. Uh, then you use water to pump uh, material out of the well. And so you've got to get sourced water and then the well itself produces a bunch of water that comes up, has to be properly disposed of in in an environmentally friendly way. And so they built this whole business around uh, the use of the water, built up a piping infrastructure um, on their acreage to move the water around um, and just allowed for the fact that they can provide all this water again at a royalty fee. So they're charging someone per gallon to use the water in the oil and gas production and all the other operations that go on uh, on their property. So that's the big thing between behind the water resources. And this is a growing area of their business. Another kind of strategic advantage they have is that they, the TPL land borders the southern part of New Mexico and to some extent the eastern border of New Mexico. Why is that important? Government in New Mexico um, is not as friendly as Texas to drilling um, and petroleum operations, basically. So the producers who are working in New Mexico... Uh, oftentimes are using Texas Pacific right across the border to provide like water and other resources to them uh, for things that they can't uh, get access to or use in New Mexico. So 
another kind of strategic benefit of the TPL land um, is, hey, not only is it on top of this giant oil patch, but it happens to be in the state of Texas, which is very pro oil and gas versus if it was in New Mexico, which is not. All right. So that's the water business um, and that they're increasingly growing their revenues from water resources. And now we get to the third form of revenue, which is obviously the biggest oil and gas royalty. So this is uh, anywhere from a 6.25% royalty all the way down to a 0.78% royalty um, on oil pump from their land. And it just depends on which plot of land and what the agreement setup is as to how, how big the royalty is. Um, but that's how they monetize oil and gas. It's just a per, you know, uh, barrel of pumped oil that they get this royalty feedback and then it's set based on, uh, the price of oil at the time. So currently while we're on oil and gas, TPL anticipates at least a 20 year, uh, inventory life, um, with a break-even point of $40 per barrel. So always difficult to predict reserves for something like oil or really any mineral um, because it comes down to a question of how bad do you want it. Um, so that's why you see a price on that of $40 per barrel. Um, at a certain price, uh, you can go and find you know oil in, in almost any part of this basin. Um, so when you say there's 20 years left, that's at a current um, rate of extraction and also at a current price to extract that oil. If for some reason oil was significantly more expensive and they could still monetize it, then that inventory could actually expand because now the company says, hey, we can actually go after oil that's harder to get and still make money on it. So those are, whenever you hear a, a forecast or a projection for inventory life on a commodity, you always have to factor in uh, price and then the run rate they're using it at because those things change and that can change hugely um, how valuable those things are. Okay, getting down to how to value the company. For the balance sheet, uh, zero debt, $428 million in cash to about a $10 billion market cap. So you can't get a whole lot better than that on balance sheet. How does the company grow or how could it grow if you're buying into it now? Well, one way is the margin can increase. And this is the cool thing uh, about these royalty companies. If you get into a situation where costs go up, um, if labor costs go up, material costs go up, uh, equipment costs go up, for a company like, let's say, Chevron, so that's an oil and gas company, even if the price of oil goes up, the company like Chevron, may not see an increase in income because conceivably the cost of labor, cost of equipment, and uh, just cost of operations rises as the price of oil rises and the margins stay the same or maybe even shrink. With a company like TPL, because it's a royalty company, the margin increases with the rise in commodity prices. So, TPL has less than 100 full-time employees, $10 billion company. They're taking fees for, as we said, easements, access, hunting leases, renting of solar panels, um, windmills, sourced water, produced water from these wells. All this stuff's producing revenue. 
but the company operating on their land is paying the increased cost of operations, personnel, and payroll. They're not. So as that price of oil rises, it basically drops straight to the bottom line. And if you look at their, you know, over 10 years of annual reports, you can see that where free cash flow is very, very close to revenue because there's just not a whole lot um, to suck that money away from the bottom line. Another way that we can see uh, an increase in their profitability, obviously, would be volume increase. Um, so just the percent of U.S. oil produced in the Permian Basin is rising. Uh, it was at 18%. So 18% of U.S. oil was produced out of the Permian in 2013. That number is now up to 41% in 2021 was the last number that I had. So the amount of oil that they're going to produce is trending upward and was likely to continue trending upward. Another one would be share buybacks. So the company is uh, kind of always buying a little bit of their shares back. Shares are down from nine to 8 million over 10 years. And they just approved another hundred million uh, share buyback. A um, hundred million, sorry, in share buybacks was just authorized um, at their last um, earnings call. They announced that. So share buybacks is another way to see the company's value increase. Uh, another one, and this is kind of fascinating, is the ESG rating. So, you know, that boilerplate on the front of all your annual reports now is environmental social governance. And environmental is just a big issue right now any big talking point for all these companies. So you wouldn't think a company in oil and gas could have a good um, environmental rating, but it turns out it does because again, the operations are outsourced to somebody else. So however these things are, are ranked, these ESG scores, um, they see TPL basically as a land company um, with a very few employees and not a whole lot of carbon impact. So TPL ranks, according to Morningstar, number two of 257 oil and gas producers. So that's pretty high in just that sector. They also rank 241 of 14,753 companies generally. So just out of general companies, they are in the top of the top percent for this ESG rating, which is becoming increasingly important as you see investors, both individual and institutional, start to push their cash toward companies with a high environmental score and away from uh, those that are polluting or viewed to be polluting or carbon heavy. In additionally to this, uh, TPL has set up um, a basically ESG task force. So it's a renewables team, they call it, tasked with CO2 reduction, climate change issues, and how are they addressing climate change? Well, if you read the website, TPL is electrifying its water infrastructure, so probably moving away from diesel generators to reduce its reliance on diesel. Uh, they're moving to increase the amount of water that they pipe around the property versus truck, so you don't have trucks you know, driving around emitting carbon. And furthermore, they're actively seeking wind and solar projects um, and lease opportunities that they can put uh, to work on their property. So as people move more to wind, more to solar, they say, hey, you know, let's just use the land for that purpose 
uh, and move in the direction that, that society is moving. So ESG rating is another way that you can kind of have a tailwind with TPL, whereas money flows that direction, uh, they might just look at these raw scores and say, hey, here's a company that ranks high uh, on ESG. Okay, starting to move toward wrapping up for comps. So comparable stuff. ConocoPhillips purchased 225,000 net acres in the Permian Basin that overlap Texas Pacific land for $9.5 billion in the fall of 2021. This is less acreage than TPL owns in the same area for essentially the same price tag as TPL's current market cap. So what you have to assume is that ConocoPhillips is an informed buyer of oil and gas resources and that they paid a reasonable price for the asset. If that's true, then TPL's acreage would fetch an even higher price from an informed buyer, even given the bearish case made for some that TPL is overvalued. So basically, TPL has 800,000 net acres. ConocoPhillips bought 225,000 net acres um, for TPL's current market cap. So you have to imagine that, you know, Texas Pacific would fetch double or more the price that Conoco paid for that acreage in the Permian. Now, companies do at times overpay when they do acquisitions. We all know that. But it's a good indicator when you got an oil and gas producer paying such a high price tag for essentially land in the same area, which could even um, not have as good of mineral rights. I don't know that detail, but if you get down into the weeds, I wonder if the land that they purchased comes with uh, the mineral rights to basically all the water and all the minerals and kind of do what you want on it that TPL has because their their company is so old and land grant is so old. All right. So those are the basics around TPL. Kind of a long one today and not really a special situation per se, not a spinoff, not a um, merger or anything like that. Um, but I do think this company is amazing. Um, I know some, again, call it overvalued. But to me, you've got this perpetual, you know, check cashing machine with very low expenses that, you know, if oil and gas continues to go up in price, um, is only going to benefit. Um, and there's just so few ways to screw it up. So kind of circling back to that Warren Buffett comment, um, if you gave somebody a billion dollars, could they destroy the business? And I'm thinking even for many billion dollars, no, you know, you couldn't destroy TPL. Uh, They just, by a twist of fate, have the land in the right spot to where they have this strategic asset on top of a bunch of oil in the U.S. in a state that's oil and gas friendly um, and the no debt and that they can just cash these checks from all the operators. So business is incredible. Be very difficult to destroy. Um, So the only question then becomes how much more valuable do you think it would get? And that's a valuation you'd have to make on your own. Uh, but I know for me, this is a long, long-term long hold um, that I'm happy to hold and happy to load up on more every time the price does go down below my cost basis. So, all right. hope you like that one. A little long and a little off the, the normal beaten path, but uh, hopefully we'll be back soon with another spinoff. And thanks for listening. <music>